You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today we have another exciting show for you, and it's, it's I, you know, I might even go on record in saying it has a chance to be one of the most exciting episodes ever, because we're, we're going to be talking about <laughs> policy. Everyone loves a good policy conversation, and obviously I say that kind of joking with my guest here, and, and it is, we have a new guest, but this truly will be, I, I hope, a very informative, very exciting episode for you. We have talked about policy before, but we're going to come at this again uh, now this year in 2021 and kind of recap some of the important achievements that we made over the past year and just kind of give another overview of what it is that Ducks Unlimited does with policy and its importance. And our guest here today is Zach Hartman, our Chief Policy Officer. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's awesome to be here. I think this is your first time back here, isn't it? It is my first time on the DU podcast. I, I think the first time that we had Adam, our CEO, on. Actually, I think Chris was interviewing him. Uh, Adam kind of gave Chris a bit of grief for for not having him on anytime sooner. So I think it may have even been longer since <laughs> so in, in your case. But we are happy to have you here, happy to get you here talking about some of the important achievements that we made over the past year that you and your team have. And so... Uh, you are new, relatively new still to Ducks Unlimited. So I want to start out by giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself, your 
your kind of personal and professional background uh, and kind of introduce yourself to our listeners here. Tell us about yourself, Zach. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mike. And I'm not going to give anybody a hard time. I'm just grateful to be here. Uh, it's worth okay. the wait. But uh, my background, you know, I, I think it's important to start with, you know, how we fell in love with the outdoors. That's a common thread that, that we pull through every member of the team here at DU. And it really started for me uh, on the waters of Sarasota Bay. I grew up the son of a fishing guide. Uh, when I was a kid, he was a high school teacher and a baseball coach. But uh, he's a fishing guide now at the ripe old age of 73. He did, I think, uh, three tarpon charters a few weeks ago. So he's he's still out there cranking it. I hope Good I'm as healthy as he is at that age. But, you know, I spent every weekend of my life, every free minute uh, fishing with my dad and my uncle uh, in the waters of Central Florida for largemouth bass and the, the waters of Sarasota Bay for... Uh, snook, redfish, trout, pompano, whatever we could catch and tarpon in the season. And so, you know, it was really great because that that's something that you kind of carry with you for, for, for your whole life. And when I moved up north uh, for college, I started needing something to do outdoors in the wintertime. In Florida, we just fish all year. <laughs> and so I started getting into hunting a lot more with my cousins, first with for doves and then later with ducks and, and just really have developed a huge love for that. So DU has been a very good logical fit for me. But, uh, you know, I went to college at the University of Georgia and uh, as well as some of our other senior leadership staff here. Uh, so go, you are an SEC uh, alumnus. Go dogs. Yes. SEC alumnus. The SEC is growing. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but uh, I <laughs> it's guess it's a topic can, for another episode. I yeah. believe. <laughs> we can make a little room for the Longhorns and the, and the Sooners. But uh after I graduated from college with a degree in education, I had an opportunity to work for a lobbying firm in Atlanta. And so I worked there for two years doing uh, legislative advocacy in Atlanta and then moved to Washington, D.C., uh, where I lived before I moved to Memphis to work for DU. In Washington, I, I worked for uh, a member of Congress, then another member of Congress that was elected to the Senate, then worked for him for a while, handling a lot of his agriculture and natural resources legislation. And then after that, I worked as the director of federal affairs for Anheuser-Busch, which is a great partner of Ducks mm, Unlimited. Uh, don't forget Bush beer is the official beer of the Ducks. Go that out, is correct. Go Good. out and get Good some. On yeah. <laughs> and uh, worked there for five and a half years before joining the team at DU. But while I was at Anheuser-Busch, I was working on a lot of their federal policy um, really kind of across the board. They're a huge manufacturing company, huge agribusiness, but really focusing on working with agribusiness stakeholders on sustainability and other initiatives like that that could pull us together. So great opportunity uh, to have worked for a great company there, but uh, really glad to be here at Ducks Unlimited. And remind me, Zach, how long have you been here uh, with us? I started at Ducks Unlimited in um, October of 2019. So coming up a little over a year and a half. Several of us here, uh, myself, I mean, I've actually worked for DU for, for quite close to 16 years, maybe a little bit over that. I, I lose count, but <laughs> I've been here at headquarters since around summer, early fall of 2019. And some of our other chiefs and CEOs, there's been a fair bit of, of kind of turnover here among some of the folks at headquarters, certainly in our chief positions. And so we're still trying to uh, trying to get caught up on having every one of them here on on the podcast. I think Dr. Karen Waldrop has yet to make her appearance on this as well, our chief conservation officer, but we'll get her on at some point. But Well, at least I beat her here. That, well, that's right. So um, 
But it certainly sounds like your background, both your personal background, your professional background, prepares you very well for the work that you do here with Ducks Unlimited. And uh, that's what we want to transition to now. And, and like I said, kind of recap, well, we'll do two things. We'll give you an opportunity to talk big picture about the importance of policy in Ducks Unlimited and kind of talk about some of your staff and some of your team. But then we want to transition to talking about accomplishments from this past year. We're recording this particular episode here uh, in late August, just kind of for a timestamp uh, to give people a, uh, something to, to reference. And policy from from your perspective, and this is always fun to kind of get different, get the different perspective uh, from people that we talk to. Is everyone seems to have a unique little twist or a unique little vision, the way they see it, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, so I've I've said on some previous episodes and talking with people that conservation without funding is just conversation. And so the work <laughs> that you do and, and your team does in policy is absolutely critical in helping to provide some of those funding streams. So from it, but it goes well beyond that. So I'm going to toss it over to you now and tell us big picture, the importance of policy. Why do we invest in it? And even you can get into a little bit of the history of DU's policy efforts if you'd like to. Yeah, sure, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, DU policy is really a, a really critical part of the, the 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 recipe of what DU does. Our volunteers are our secret ingredient. We know that for sure. Uh, and and so you know, I really view policy work as we're we're support. It was funny when I was at Anheuser-Busch, I said, you know, we're a beer company. There are people that make and sell the beer and then everybody else's support. It's not that much different uh, here at DU. We have so many great professional staff and volunteers that support our conservation delivery machine, but uh, do it in a lot of different ways. Our fundraising team supports conservation by raising uh, unrestricted revenue and restricted revenue uh, for conservation delivery. And policy does the same because... Our conservation delivery apparatus, if you will, uh, is so interconnected with state agencies for fish and wildlife, with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, with FEMA, with NOAA, with uh, the Department of Defense, with all these different agencies are essential partners for us and our role of delivering waterfowl habitat on the ground. And they all have very important needs and goals and priority, as do we. And a lot of times those line up. And so what policy does is we go out and we work with those partners in our federal and state agencies. And we work with our other stakeholders. Maybe they're agribusiness agri groups. Maybe they're, uh, maybe they're corporations. Uh, we work with them on all of our shared priorities and influencing public policy so that DU and our conservation staff have the resources at their disposal to deliver that conservation on the ground. Maybe there's a great program that would be really awesome for waterfowl habitat, but you know we're not really eligible because this regulation says one thing or this law says another thing. And if we can tweak that a little bit, then it becomes a really great funding source uh, for conservation. And so we're really out here trying to protect and grow our core programs and also broaden the base of opportunities for conservation to pursue so that they have lots of options and just the right option for that project that they want to deliver on the landscape. 
so a lot of those programs that you talk about are responsible for providing funding to do some of the habitat work that, that Ducks Unlimited is so great at. But are there other things that some of our policy efforts can do with regard to like ensuring some of the decisions that policymakers are are entertaining are uh, are I guess friendly to the things that we like to do <laughs> that are that help protect wetlands and uplands and help protect habitats that are that are beneficial for 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 waterfowl are there things beyond funding i guess is what i'm trying to ask yeah. that we use policy for absolutely and i'm really glad that you asked that question you know it really starts with du brand reputation and uh, there's a lot of times where you find Otherwise, very well-intended legislators bring a bill forward that does something that they don't intend it to do. And we have to connect with them and say, hey, (laughs) you know, there was a bill uh, last year that that inadvertently would have made it illegal to hunt waterfowl. In, 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 one, in one state. And when we contacted the legislator and we're like, do you realize what this does? Uh, they were like, whoa, I totally didn't. I'm going to withdraw that. And so that's what our team does. But, uh, you know, also working with these policymakers to keep things pointed in the right direction, you know, the history of DU policy really started with the North American Wildlife Management Plan. Uh, or NAWAMP, as all the conservation staff will call it. But since we're dealing with a lot of laypersons out here, myself included, uh, you know, the North American Waterfowl Management Plan was created in the late 80s. And as an extension of that, the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, which is one of the most the most impactful waterfowl habitat conservation programs out there uh, was created in the early 90s. And and what that was is it was born out of this realization by Ducks Unlimited and the broader conservation community that waterfowl conservation is not going to be something that is dealt with between individuals anymore as much. Um, It's really something that is going to be born out of the relationship between countries, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. It's a continental program and also born out of the idea that, that, that it's going to be conservation and waterfowl management is going to be born out of relationships between governments and individuals. And so if we're really going to succeed in pr- protecting and promoting our waterfowl traditions and succeed at delivering waterfowl habitat on the ground, we really needed to lean into these relationships with legislators and, and our policy makers. And so it doesn't necessarily stop at the legislator. We also spend a lot of time interacting and working with um, what opinion elites, key stakeholders, people who uh, might have more influence over certain aspects of policy than we do and working with them on our common priorities. Because at the end of the day, when you think about policy, we watch the 24-hour news cycle. There's so much that that looks like the, the country can't agree on anything. That, that what divides us is so much greater than what unites us. And, and nothing could really be further from the truth. There's, you know, especially when it comes to the desired outcomes, we have, as a nation, we really have 90% or so alignment in all the things that the government is doing. And what we try to do is focus on that 90% 
and make sure that DU and the ducks and waterfowl habitat conservation stays in that 90% category. We'll, we'll pick that up here in just a minute. But the first thing I want to do is, is kind of go back. You referenced your policy team, and I want to make sure that we give some uh, some mention, some credit to them, uh, because it's more than more than just you. 100%. And, and so tell our listeners, for those that may not be aware, about our policy team at at, head, uh, at uh, in Washington, D.C., but then we also have some policy folks in the different regional offices, right? Absolutely. Uh, I am I cannot say enough great things about our policy team. Except Ed Penny. Let's not, <laughs> let's not throw too much praise on Ed Penny. <laughs> Ed, Penny Sorry, gets Ed. It, Ed, Ed Penny gets it done. You know, you're, you're, it, you're always fortunate if you're the target of one of those things because <laughs> as, as we say in the D.C. office, we kid because we care. That's right. Right. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's, we're really blessed with an amazing professional staff, but also an amazing policy volunteer army, if you will. Um, we've got a, a DC office that handles all the federal stuff. That's probably what more, most people are familiar with. But we've also got uh, six professional staff members located in our regional offices around the U.S., um, as you mentioned, Ed Penny is in the Southern region. We have a new hire in California, Mark Engstrom, who handles our California policy out of the WRO. Uh, we have two team members out of the Bismarck office, uh, Carmen Miller and Ryan Taylor. And then we've got two professional staff in uh, our Glero office. We've got Kyle Rora and Nikki Gorpaday. And they just do an amazing job working with our volunteers. You know, I joke around with folks. I say, you know, my title is chief policy officer, but I'm really just the chief policy advocate. They're all great professionals at what they do. I'm here at national headquarters to coordinate everything with the national leadership and to make sure that our people in the field, staff and volunteers have the resources they need to bring home what, what is necessary for the conservation on the landscape. Your job is to stay out of their way is what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, you, one thing I want to pull out of that, uh, what you were just talking about there, is the role that our volunteers play in, in our policy efforts. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Our policy volunteers are like everything else in DU. Our volunteers are our secret, secret ingredient in this recipe for delivering this conservation. You know, it really starts with the public policy committee which is led by uh, Al Matna, who is our policy committee chairman. We have about 20 or so policy committee members, and they are the ones that provide the vision and the continuity across our volunteer leadership for what policy is supposed to go and do. Um, but we also have state-based and regional-based uh, policy volunteer leaders who play an essential role in delivering and working on our policy priorities in Washington and in the states. And so many of our states have state policy chairs that serve beneath the state chairs uh, to make sure that they're coordinating all of the folks who are interested in policy out there across the United States and and keeping them focused on, on the things that, that we want to do. You know, our volunteers are our secret ingredient, but not every volunteer wants to volunteer for an event. 
or not every volunteer wants to volunteer on a conservation project. There are a lot of people who are political junkies uh, out there, just like me, uh, who really love getting into that sort of thing. And they might not be interested in volunteering to organize a gun bash or something like that. But they are interested in this. And so this is another way that folks can get involved in DU and be a volunteer for DU. And I think that that's great. And they do that by participating in legislative meetings at their state capitals or Washington, D.C. They do that by responding to our action alerts and contacting their member of Congress in the, in the House or the Senate or also in the state legislature or their governors about important policy issues as they arise and participating in fly-ins and other types of events. One of the most important things that our policy volunteers really do, and I don't want to overlook this because it is essentially important, it is the most high value thing that our policy volunteers do, is that they meet with legislators and their staff at our conservation projects. So nothing makes an impression on a legislator then when one of their constituents says, I'm a volunteer for DU, we just did this great project, it's going to create all this clean water, it's going to create all this waterfowl habitat, it's going to create all this outdoor recreation access, and here it is in your district, I'd love for you to come so I can show it to you. And they go and they come away and then they are always there for us when we need them. That's a great point, Zach. And we have, anytime we talk about the role of waterfowl hunters and conservationists in, in the history of, of funding and promoting good policy for, uh, for wildlife conservation in general, it's, it's, it's more than just license sales. It's more than just duck stamps. It's more than just donations to nonprofit organizations. It's the thing that you just talked about there where they are invested enough, they are passionate enough about the resource, waterfowl, wetlands in this case, to spend their time seeking out a conversation with their with their legislators, their representatives, to let them know that it matters to them. And then they're going to, quite frankly, part of their vote is going to be based on those types of decisions and those types of issues. And that's, uh, that's a really critical thing to emphasize. And so I'm glad you, uh, glad you, you, you did so. 100%. If we can make sure that every one of our members, legislators know that they are a duck voter, then we are already way ahead of the curve. Um, and so it's essential that engagement there ambassadors is what they are. They're ambassadors for DU. They're brand ambassadors. Are amb you and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. 
Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. The next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Ambassadors for all waterfowlers. Let's transition to talking about accomplishments, which are partly uh, attributable to those those hunters, those those individuals, our supporters. And we're going to reflect back on some of the accomplishments of last year. And a few minutes ago, you talked about issues that unite us versus issues that divide us. And the thing that's always kind of struck me is regardless of which kind of political administration we may find ourselves in, conservation issues, the, the desire to leave the landscape and natural resources a bit better than we found them is something that that in nearly every case transcends political boundaries. And and that's got to be, I mean, I, I don't work in the political uh, field. I'm, I'm a scientist, but nevertheless, as I think about it, I have to imagine that you, for the people, the professionals in the policy arena, to be able to work on something that you know resonates with both Republicans, Democrats, independents, that has to make your job really easy. That, not necessarily really easy, but easier than some of the more divisive topics, right? It does. You know, we're not manufacturing wi- widgets here. Uh, we're man- manufacturing ducks and it's complicated, yeah. right? And so, uh, but the conservation space is one that is that really is unifying and we're just so grateful for that. It's DU is a nonpartisan organization. So we work very hard to protect our DU brand reputation as, as somebody that is inclusive and inviting of people of all political persuasions. There's the, the, there's nothing, there are duck politics, but there's nothing political about, about ducks. And we're really fortunate. As a matter of fact, last Congress, um, when the country was as divided as I think it has ever been, uh, based off of what people watch on the news and, and, and see from home, you'd think that politicians in Washington and in their state capitals couldn't agree on anything yet. We were able to pass two of the biggest, most landmark legislative packages for conservation in the history of the country. The Great American Outdoors Act was one, and America's Conservation Enhancement Act was another. Conservation was this was was what was the glue that held those big deals together and created that bipartisan uh, committee that enabled those bills to advance because. In this divisive environment, legislators needed to do pass show that they could the government could function, and they were looking for things that they could do. And our team, as well as all of our conservation uh, partners in Washington, did an exceptional job 
of advocating and advancing these big legislative priorities that are going to make a difference in this country for generations. Let's talk about some of those in a bit more detail here, Zach. And I know you could roll off 20 or so examples of the type of accomplishments <laughs> that we made, your policy team made, and our, our volunteers made over the past year. But if I had to ask you to identify uh, three to four, let's just let's stick with three or four of the most notable accomplishments at the federal level. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about some of the examples from the state uh, from the state level here later on. But some of the most prominent examples at the federal level. Yeah, so the two bills that I just mentioned are definitely the most impactful. First of all, the Great American Outdoors Act was passed last year, uh, which permanently authorized and made funding mandatory for the Land and Water Conservation Fund at the, to the tune of about $900 million a year. Uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund is a fund that has been authorized up to a certain amount, but typically appropriated at much lower levels. So making that funding mandatory, in other words, the government has to spend it, uh, was a huge accomplishment. The other reason that that was so great is because DU historically has not taken advantage of the Land and Water Conservation Fund a lot. There are a lot of state agencies that don't really understand how to apply for the programs. The programs have different types of requirements around multiple uses and other things like that. But that's just another reason that that is such a great opportunity for DU because it enables us to leverage all the benefits that waterfowl habitat provides. And so maybe a land and water conservation fund program might not just restore wetland habitat, It might expand a state WMA and also include construction of a sporting clays course or a dog training facility or some other form of outdoor recreational access. And what that is going to mean is more outdoor recreation and more dollars for conservation in the form of excise taxes on sporting goods equipment, particularly hunting and fishing equipment and other things like that. So that the Great American Outdoors Act was huge. It also included, aside from just the Land and Water Conservation Fund, a tremendous amount of money for our national parks. Our national parks are underwhelmed and under-maintained or overwhelmed and under-maintained, especially in the current environment. People are trying to get outdoors more than ever. And so that's going to provide essential maintenance uh, funding for or our national parks and to take care of all their visitors there. Perhaps an opportunity for a little bit of policy 101. You mentioned a couple of terms early on in, in when talking about that act. Authorization versus appropriation. Can you give us the simple explanation of the difference between those two? How often do they have to occur? Uh, and why are both of them critical to policy actions actually being implemented? That's a great question. And I think that we take that a little bit for granted in inside the policy universe that people really understand that, but it's worth pointing out. And so the difference between authorization and appropriation is, is, is kind of like this. Let's say you are sitting around the kitchen table going through your family budget with your wife and you're saying, we're going to budget X number of dollars to get a new pickup truck. 
Okay. That's the authorization. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're authorized to make the purchase. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, and, and I know Mike has expensive taste, so we're going to say $65,000. Let's not go there. And then the appropriation of that is when you actually spend it, you go to the dealership, but you might not spend 65 grand. You might spend 56. That's a nice truck, by the way. Uh, you're not, you can't be talking about my truck, the one that hasn't been washed in a year. But that's really the difference. Authorization authorizes appropriation spend and authorizing bills happen on an annual basis. Sometimes, sometimes they happen on a five year cycle, a lot of big bills like North American Wetlands Conservation Act is a five year authorization at a certain level. Um, I'll talk more about that when I get into details of the ASAC, the American Conservation Enhancement Act. Uh, and then, uh, but, but the appropriations ha happen on an annual basis and the authorization sets the maximum amount that can be spent on a particular program and the appropriation sets, sets the actual amount that they're going to spend on it this year. So for example, under the previous authorization, NACA, the North American Wetlands Conservation Act was authorized for $50 million dollars but it was appropriated for 46.5 million. So it doesn't always hit that cap. Um, the, the, the idea on a five-year authorization like that is to incrementally work your way up to that maximum authorization. Level. And just because a program is authorized does not mean it's going to receive funding, right? That's correct. Unless it's mandatory spending, um, it, it does not mean that it is that it is going to be have money spent on it. Those programs are referred to as discretionary programs. So that's why we work so hard with Inducts Unlimited for both the authorization of NACA as well as the annual appropriations, right? 100%. And we spend a lot of time demonstrating support for these programs through congressional letters, signing on. And so our NACA letter uh, typically has more than 200 signees in the House and more than 50 in the Senate year, year to year. And so we continue to try to grow those numbers to make it abundantly clear to Republicans and Democrats that there is a broad swath of the country that supports that supports these letters, both in Congress and out across America. So we've, I'm kind of causing us to jump around here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've talked about the Great American Outdoors Act. It contained uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund, right? Yep. Author authorization. And you said mandatory funding. Mandatory okay. spending, yeah. Uh, spending. And uh, so where do we go next? What's one of the other best examples or most notable examples of a conservation or policy su success this past year? Yeah, the, the Great American Outdoors Act gets a lot of attention, but what people might have missed was later in the year, uh, I think it was around October, uh, we were able to pass the American Conservation Enhancement Act. And that was a critically important bill for Ducks Unlimited. What that bill did was, one, it reauthorized the North American Wetlands Conservation Act for a really long time. Now, earlier you talked about authorizations. If you're authorized, you don't necessarily get your money spent. NACA had not been reauthorized. We had been getting unauthorized appropriations since I think 2012, about a decade. And so we reauthorized NACA and we said we were able to get that authorization increased by $10 million. So the ACE Act, the American Conservation Enhancement Act, I'll call it the ACE Act from now on to save us okay. some breath. <laughs> uh, the ACE Act reauthorized NACA for five years and increased that authorization by 
by $10 million year over year. So what that means is that's a, that's a $50 million increase in authorized spending. And then, uh, but that bill also included a lot of other really important provisions. It included increase in authorization levels for key regional programs, like the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, the Chesapeake Bay Program, the Delaware uh, River Program. And it also created a new program called the Chesapeake Wild Act, which is modeled off of the Delaware River Program program, but will provide states in the Chesapeake Bay watershed with funding to do wildlife habitat enhancement and conservation projects with the goal of expanding habitat, but also improving water quality in the Chesapeake Bay. And all of these programs that we've talked about are ones for which Ducks Unlimited could apply for some of that funding to do some of the habitat conservation work? That's correct. Okay. Are there any others at the federal level that that we want to talk about here? There are a lot of other accomplishments at the federal level, but there are two other things that I'd really like to highlight because it points out the importance of our partnerships. Um, And our policy team spends a lot of time building and nurturing partnerships with with other groups that have a shared interest in conservation or sustainability or or climate mitigation. And so one, two of the other accomplishments that we that we had from the last year was one we signed a memorandum of understanding with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the leading uh trade association for ranchers in the United States that that said that we would work together on sustainability as Ryan Taylor, our uh, farmer slash, or excuse me, rancher slash policy director in North Dakota would say, cows and ducks make great friends. And they really do. And uh, I don't have to tell you that you're a scientist. You could probably talk for hours about all the great things that cows and ducks do for each other. But that is going to be a great partnership. It solidifies our common commitment to sustainability and and multiple uses on ranch lands and the conservation of those, those family ranches and keeping them on the landscape for the ranchers and for the wildlife. The other one that we signed uh, a memorandum of common purpose was, and, and, and conservation played a tremendous role. I really have to t- tip my hat to Dr. Ellen Herbert, uh, who worked a lot on this project, but uh, a memorandum of common purpose with the Mississippi River Cities and Towns Initiative. And what that said is that we are going to work with all the cities that are on the Mississippi River on our shared uh, goal of reducing flooding along the Mississippi River through natural infrastructure projects and other multiple use projects. They get access and assistance from our conservation staff and our engineers and biologists and the experts. Um, You know, most of their communities have... 2,500 people or less and three full-time employees. They can't process FEMA disaster mitigation grants and other things like that. So this partnership is really going to create an opportunity for us to identify the duckiest projects up and down the Mississippi River that we can help with and what their needs are and work together to deliver that conservation through natural infrastructure that's also going to prevent a lot of flooding and help with water management, nutrient management, other things like that on the Mississippi River, which I'm sure all of our listeners know is is a big problem. A key thing you've touched on in both of those additional examples is is this idea of 
of us increasingly moving, and we've always done this, but it's it's becoming much more apparent that this is the key to our future and uh, if we're going to conserve habitats for, for waterfowl, and that is our ability to find, to, to work with diverse partners and to find mutually beneficial solutions. And, and I mean that in the truest sense where it has to be a win-win. Landowners, ranchers, farmers are going to be some of our, they have to be some of our greatest allies going forward, but we also, we have to view that from the perspective of they need to get something out of it too, just as we do for our, for ducks and wetlands and, and all the habitats, right? 100%. And, you know, 70 to 75% of all of the wetlands that are in this country are on private or tribal lands. And so if we want to make an impact on those, we've really got to lean into our relationships with those farmers and ranchers and the agribusiness community and rural communities. A couple of ways that we've done that, we are part of the American Connection Project, which is to just increase broadband in rural America. We realize that that's important for those communities. It's important for conservation. You talk about all the high-tech stuff that our that our conservation staff utilizes. They need to have access to internet and rural communities need access to broadband to thrive. Another great example of that is a regional conservation partnership program in the Dakotas that we that we are working on with a lot of agriculture uh, groups up there to improve soil health. And so what we will do is we'll work with them to draft this federal this federal program, which is a competitive program through USDA, Natural Resource Conservation Service, that that will provide the resources they need to put on the ground and experiment, if you will, with more sustainable methods of agriculture. We're confident that when they do that, they'll realize that it helps them be better stewards of the land, but it most importantly, it helps their bottom line. And that's really the most important thing for family farmers and ranchers on the landscape today. It's a tough environment out there. They've got water problems. They've Everybody's got too little or too much we can help with that. We can help with other science-based agronomic science to help them improve their operations and become more profitable. Yeah, we haven't even really touched on uh, our policy work in the water arena yet, and that's that. Well, that could be an episode <laughs> in itself <laughs> when we talk about the, th- the some of the issues that that are. Um, that we're facing out west, we've we've had some pol- water policy, water availability. Um, uh, concerns along the Gulf Coast as well. And so that has dominated a lot of the time of, of many of our, our policy uh, policy staff. And so we'll have an opportunity at some point in the future to I, probably to drill in on those, those issues in a bit more detail. So let's uh, transition now and talk about some of our policy successes at the state level uh, and how we've, uh, how some of our staff have engaged in those decisions and helped influence some favorable outcomes for some policies at that, at the state level. Uh, our state affairs team and our regional uh, directors and managers of, of public policy are great at what they do. We couldn't do any of that without our volunteers, as we said before, and also our conservation partners. But we've put a lot of wins on the board over the last year, not just for uh, conservation delivery, but also conservation funding. And most of those accomplishments really kind of fit into a couple of different buckets. The first one would be online raffles. And our freedom, I call this the freedom to fundraise. I know we've got a lot of listeners out there that are like, 
I'm an event volunteer. What is DU doing for, you know, what's policy doing for fundraising? And we're really, I want you to know this, we're really leaning into it. And so over the last year, we legalized online raffles during the pandemic to enable our professional and staff and volunteer fundraisers to really continue to raise the important and essential revenue for conservation in, in a number of states. We legalized online, online raffles in West Virginia, Nebraska, North Dakota, um, and, and a handful of other South Carolina, we passed a raffle bill that permanently authorized our ability to just conduct charitable raffles at all, um, which was a big, big win. The other uh, area that we do a lot of work in on the state side is what we like to refer to as dedicated funding streams. And some of those are state duck stamps. Some of those are state outdoor heritage fund type programs that take excise taxes or other revenue streams and, and set aside a percentage of that for conservation work. And uh, we've had some big wins there over the last year. We, and, and I really, I really got to take this opportunity to, to give a big high five, a big virtual high five to Nell Swenson, who is in Wisconsin, our DU uh, state policy chair and one of our policy committee members up there. That guy has been fighting for a decade to increase the duck stamp in Wisconsin. And this year he did it. Congratulations to you, Nels. But the work that he and our volunteer leaders did in that state, not only did that, but they also protected our uh, dedicated funding stream through Wisconsin as well. The similarly protected our protected and incrementally grew our dedicated funding streams in Minnesota through their outdoor heritage fund and in North Dakota and other states like that, and then established new sources of funding. Um, you know, everyone likes to chuckle a little bit when we talk about this, but in Montana, Montana passed a law to legalize recreational marijuana. And it was through a ballot. And the ballot said that that tax revenue had to go to conservation. And so uh, our staff and volunteers in Montana succeeded in uh, getting a set aside of more than $5 million that is part of that marijuana excise tax revenue projection that is going to be completely dedicated to permanent easements and the maintenance of permanent easements. And, and so these types of things, these new revenue streams are just new opportunities uh, for conservation out here in the States. Um, I don't want to blow past the, uh, the other accomplishments um, we, we, because I really want to give a lot of credit to everyone out there. You know, we increased the duck stamp fee in New Jersey. Nobody thought that we were going to be able to do that. I really got a, another volunteer that deserves a pat on the back. Scott Patterson put that effort on his shoulders and carried it across the finish line. I've never seen a volunteer grind on his state legislators like Scott did. And he deserves a lot of credit as does Nikki on that one. And, and some people may be listening to this thinking, well, wait, why are you, why are you raising our, our fees? In a lot of these cases, duck stamp prices had probably not increased in what, 20 or 30 years? I mean, it's right. or longer. Right. Duck stamp fees uh, in New Jersey had not increased, I think, in over 25 years. And some states index them to inflation. Some states just do incremental fee increases. And these are nominal fee increases. And one of the things that we always do is we 
survey our members in the landscape and make sure that we have support for these fee increases because we don't want to make our, our members or our supporters feel like we're advocating for taxes on duck hunters. But I can say unequivocally that in almost every single circumstance, and this is one of my the things that I'm more proud of than anything else about the hunting community, about the sportsman community, about fishermen, hunters, anglers, when there is a reasonable proposal to increase the fees, they always support it because they know that that investment goes right back into the landscape. It's going to mean more ducks. It's going to be more fish. It's going to be more outdoor access on public lands. And because of that, they support those types of investments. And and it's really unique. You know, I, I, I said this the other day to somebody, conservation and outdoor recreation is one of the only things that you can tax and get more of it. Yeah. It's not a tax, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you increase the, the, the cost and people just get more passionate about it as long as it's reasonable and has the support of the hunting and fishing community. Right. Reasonable, has the support and and they can see that the money's being used wisely and they are the they are a direct beneficiary of the expenditure of those funds. 1000% and I think that, you know, it, it really kind of goes full circle back to our relationship with those state fish and wildlife life agencies and people are skeptical of what the government spends sure. money on. Sure. You know, the government spends money on a lot of stuff. People are skeptical of what any body with authority has, you One, know, what they're spending money on. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> but the transparency and the stewardship of those conservation dollars by our partners at the state agencies is is essential in building that confidence and support amongst hunters and anglers for, for these types of initiatives, which are essentially important uh, for our conservation work. And so I really have to tip my hat to all of them out there, all the, all of the biologists, all of the state agency officials, all of uh, our partners out there who work day in and day out to take care of the land, public lands and some private lands to make sure that we all have great places to go hunting and fishing. I interrupted you there a, a few minutes ago. Are there any other notable uh, state uh, state level? I mean, I, I know there are many more that we could talk about here, but I ask you just to mention a few. We're going to have to start wrapping it up here in just a second. But any others that we've left out that you would feel bad about uh, not mentioning? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are two that come to mind, and I appreciate you asking. Um, the first one is the H2 Ohio Initiative. Uh, I really got to give a lot of credit to the legislators and the leadership in Ohio for really leaning into their stewardship of the Great Lakes. Um, they're really trying to clean up the lake up there and they've invested a lot of conservation dollars and DU is an essential partner of that. We've really benefited from that and the ducks and the fish and, and all the people that live in Ohio have significantly benefited from that as well. And then lastly, you know, earlier you mentioned water policy. And there's, and there's one thing that we've been working on in particular out West, you know, in Northern California, Southern Oregon, they're going, undergoing one of the most historic droughts in the history of that region. And they've had some good ones uh, before this time or some really bad ones, um, comparatively speaking. But, uh, you know, DU went out there. We met with a lot of agriculture leaders. We've met with the community. We've been engaging with tribal leadership. And, and what had happened was is there's 
a very complicated situation out there in the Klamath Basin. The Klamath Basin was the first ever migratory bird protection area that was established in this country. And so this is an essential wintering ground and uh, area where birds uh, molt and hang out while they're molting. As you are well aware, <laughs> birds don't, waterfowl don't have much of a choice but to hang out. All these birds were concentrated in this one little body of remaining water and it was going to dry up. And it was also, there were also 130 or so endangered sucker fish there. And it was going to dry up and they all probably would have died. And we worked with the local leadership in the ag community. We worked with the Bureau of Reclamation. We worked with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We worked with other local leaders and, and community stakeholders. And we were able to deliver water to that to that area so that we are relatively confident that that won't happen and we'll avoid what would have been a historically cataclysmic avian botulism outbreak. Last year or the year before, there was a avian botulism outbreak due to certain similar circumstances that killed about 60,000 birds. And so it's, it, I really have to tip my hat to Al Matna and Paul Bonderson and uh, Mark Engstrom and Jeff McCreary, our director of operations in the Western region. And, uh, you know, our other, well, while I'm naming people. Uh, it's always um, a dangerous thing um, once you start, right? <laughs> yeah. Amelia Raquel and Chris Colson, two of our biologists out there, deserve a lot of credit. And so that was a, an incredible accomplishment by our policy team that really makes a difference uh, for not just the ducks, but also for all the people that live in that basin. The policy arena arena within within which you and all your team works is is certainly diverse. It's immense and it's diverse. <laughs> you talked about you talked about online raffles. That was the that was the one that kind of shocked me whenever I first started hearing about it last year. Is that we were having to devote some policy work, to, uh, some some policy capacity to try to. Um, enable online raffles. Of course, that became hyper important as we got into uh, in, into last year with the, the Zoom world of, of fundraising. I had no idea that those types of situations would even would even occur. Uh, but you find out really quick when you try to do them, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't expect a DU lobbyist or policy staffer's antenna to pop up when they see a bill about a state lotto law, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Zach, this has been a, a, a wide ranging conversation as all policy conversations, you know, at, at this level need to be. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the farm bill once and we'll have to get you back to talk about that. Um, and I think we're probably we're probably about to start gearing up. Right for, on the cusp. For, yeah. So we'll have to get you back to talk about that in a little bit more detail. You did mention the RCPP, which is the Regional Conservation Partnership uh, Program. I think I got that right. Uh, it is part of the conservation title of the Farm Bill. So we did touch on it you know, tangentially there, but the, the Farm Bill and the conservation title in it has been one of the most, probably the most significant funding source for wildlife conservation to ever um, um, to ever be present here in this country. So we'll definitely have to spend some time talking about that as we go forward. But any closing remarks from you to, to any of our any of our listeners or audience about policy or anything that we might want to cover here as we close out? Yeah, if there was only one thing that I could say to all of our listeners and all the DU supporters across the United States, it, it would be thank you. 
thank you for everything that you do day in and day out to make the Duckhead the most recognizable, most trusted, most respected brand in science-based conservation because that reputation is the bedrock of everything that we do. When we walk into a legislator's office and we say we're here from Ducks Unlimited, they know that we're trustworthy. They know that we have an army of a million supporters across the United States that care about our priorities. And they know that they're going to start with wanting to say yes to whatever it is that we ask for because of all of those things. And so thank you to everybody for everything you do. It doesn't just stop at the policy committee edge, if you will. It is the cumulative work that everyone in this company and all of our volunteers and supporters across the U.S. do every day to promote the Duckhead and promote DU brand reputation and make it the most trusted, most adored brand and conservation in the United States. So um, thanks to all of you for what you do. Keep it up. And I echo that. And Zach, thank you. And thank your entire team uh, and on all our volunteers for, for their work towards advancing our policy priorities. Thanks for joining us here on the Will podcast. Do. Thank you, Mike. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Zach Hartman, our chief policy officer. We greatly appreciate his time and filling us in on a little bit about policy and what our priorities are and, and what some of our notable accomplishments have been. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the work he does on the podcast. And to you, our listeners, we thank you for joining us and we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. 
Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.